be reading the passage in a few minutes. Lord, as we enter this time, we need you as much now as we did 30 seconds ago. Throughout the service, Lord, we ask for you to wield your sword and cut us where we need it and show us Christ and not only Christ, but the riches that are in the gospel so that in understanding this, we might bear fruit for you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good things often come in small packages, don't they? I got a very good thing in a very small package in May of 1982 when Laurie said, I do. <laughs> well, when you think of Colossians, you should think small package. It was written to a small church in a small city. Commentator J.D. Lightfoot says, in the eyes of the world, Colossae was the most inconsequential city and church to which Paul ever wrote. Do you think that God cares for us here in these foothills and in the surrounding area? If he had this inspired letter written to the Christians at Colossae, he cares for us. If he had it placed in his biblical canon for the benefit of us all, he cares for us. Besides the small city and small church, the letter of Colossians is only four short chapters, but do not let that fool you because good things often come in small packages. And this is certainly true in this case because in this short letter, Jesus Christ is more magnified in his preeminence than in any other book in all of the Bible. And being preeminent, the inspired author wanted the dear Christians at Colossae to be double and triple certain that only in Christ could they realize greater spiritual growth as Christians and greater fullness as Christians. There are three tenses in the way that the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerfully worked out in the lives of God's people. There's the past, and there's the present, and there's the future. The past tense we have been saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, we have been justified before God in the past through faith in Christ. Faith came alive for us sometime in the past, and it can never be taken away from us. That's the past tense. We have been saved. 
Now let me jump to the future tense. We will be saved because of the gospel. And this idea carries the thought that in the eschatological future, we will experience all the full wonder and reality of our salvation. At that time, we will be saved in that sense. So between those two points, between the point when faith in Christ began and the point when we will realize the full reality of our salvation in heaven, there is the present tense of how the gospel of Jesus Christ is being powerfully worked out in our life today. The present tense, we are being saved. We have been saved. We will be saved. Between those two, we are being saved. We're being saved today in the sense that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are growing in greater Christ-likeness and Christian fullness. He's cutting out the old man because of the gospel He's cutting out the old man in us and bringing in the new. Another way to put it is, through Jesus, we are being sanctified. God doesn't uh, justify us and then just leave us the way we are. He changes us little by little and matures us so that we bear spiritual fruit in our lives. That's what this letter says deals with. It addresses the idea of our being saved, our being sanctified. And here, I think, is where the biggest battle lies. And therefore, sometimes Christians are tempted to look for spiritual fullness outside of Jesus Christ. It's a ferocious battle between the flesh and the spirit. But in the gospel, Christ has provided all that we need. We don't need something outside of Christ to get us some supposed quick fix. Well, that's what was beginning to happen in the little church of Colossae. Some were beginning, it was at the beginning, he's not real harsh in this letter like he is Galatians, Some were beginning to follow false teachers who were offering a, quote, faster way to spiritual fullness. But there is no fast track to spiritual fullness in Christian maturity. It doesn't exist. But the false teachings, teachers were saying that there was. And, and so it's tempting. And I'll call it the Jesus Plus program. Jesus Plus following certain Jewish traditions in order to be more spiritual. You want to get there? You can get there really quick and be like us. You wouldn't believe how rampant this is today. Jesus plus rigorous self-denial in the form of asceticism. Jesus plus the worship of angels. That will bring you automatically to spiritual fullness. No, Paul says. 
Absolutely not. Jesus is enough. And over and over in this letter, Paul points us to Jesus and his soul sufficiency. Spiritual fullness is found in Jesus Christ alone. That's why Paul in Ephesians 1 says that God the Father put all things under Christ's feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And that's why the gospel is so powerful. Jesus makes the gospel powerful to save. You see, Jesus is enough. In fact, he's more than enough. All that we need, therefore, is found in him and in his finished gospel work on our behalf. Turn, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1. I'll be reading through verse 20, but our text is 3 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And I'll stop there at verse 14. What we will see in verses 3 through 8 is gospel power that exalts the preeminence of Christ, and that gospel power beckons us to not stop growing in Jesus Christ. So we'll consider first the source of gospel power, 
and then the platform for gospel power, and we'll close with the result of gospel power. Well, as you could have guessed, the source of the power of the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source of gospel power because Jesus is God incarnate. And he has accomplished everything necessary to save a people for God. And that's what we see in verses 3 and 4. There, speaking to the believers at Colossae, Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Paul heard about their faith and their manifest love that they had for all the saints, and that's in the Greek, agape love, godly love, heavenly love, and he knows who to thank for these things. They go together. He knows to thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because faith in Christ and agape love are both the product of gospel power. And Jesus is the source of that power. Well, why is that from this text? This title, this name, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ declares Jesus who walked on earth as true man it declares him also to be true God. Indeed, throughout the earthly ministry of Christ, Jesus declared himself to be the, the Son of God, and the Jews understood that in claiming this, he was claiming to be God. That's why they accused him of blasphemy and wanted to kill him. In John chapter 5, for example, Jesus was referring to God as his father when he said to the unbelieving Jews, my father is working until now, and I am working. John records that after Jesus had said this, the Jews sought to kill him because he was making himself equal with God. Acknowledging the deity of Jesus Christ is so basic and so essential to understanding the, the power of the gospel to save in every tense, the power of the gospel to save in every sense of the word, that it is one of our five membership vows. The Pringles, thank you, Lord, testified to their belief in this when they were asked, do you believe in one living and true God in whom eternally there are three distinct persons? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are the same in being and equal in power and glory, and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh. We do. Yes, God, 
The Son became incarnate in order to win our salvation. He won it for us by keeping God's law perfectly on our behalf so that we who are lawbreakers who do not love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength might be declared righteous through faith in him alone. He also won our salvation by bearing our sin while he was on the cross. We can say, Christians should be able to say, when he died, we died. While on the cross, because our sin he bore in his body, he justly endured God's holy wrath and the punishment of death for our full atonement. But we can't stop there. He also won our salvation. Listen, he also won our salvation uh, by rising from the dead so that we might what? Walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 6. You see, Jesus will always be the source for walking in newness of, of life, whether or not I personally suffer and get discouraged often over my sin, and I do. But because I often get discouraged because of my sin, that doesn't mean that, that I need to look anywhere else outside of Jesus for a quick fix. And it doesn't mean that for you as well. We are to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We are to grow up in him and in the knowledge of God in him and understand from God's word the riches and the treasures that are ours in Jesus Christ and that precious gospel. Any and all Jesus Plus programs are nothing but empty promises. That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And this leads us to the platform for gospel power. The source of gospel power is what? Christ. And the platform for gospel power is preaching. Gospel preaching is God's main means for calling people to himself and growing them up in the faith. Of course, it's not limited to the platform of preaching. Moms and dads are blessed by God to have a gospel impact on their covenant children. And as difficult as parenting can be, God loves to grow his church generationally in spite of the parent's sin. There's also personal evangelism and discipleship. There are books and articles, etc. But preaching the gospel 
is God's normal way of calling people to himself and growing them up in Jesus Christ. And Paul is reminding the Christians at Colossae in great thanksgiving that they indeed had grown and borne spiritual fruit because of the gospel preached and absorbed. He says to them, it's like a ladder leading up to their little church and pastor Epaphras. Verse five, you heard the word of truth, the gospel. The last part of verse six, you heard the gospel and understood the grace of God in truth. Verse, then verse seven, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's also made known to us your love in the Spirit. Most likely, when Paul was in Ephesus, Epaphras traveled about 100 miles from his little town to hear Paul preach. Then Epaphras took that gospel back to his small town and began to preach, and the result was powerful. Paul talks about growth and increase and the bearing of spiritual fruit in verse 6 in their lives. And Paul, in Ephesians 2, explains from his own preaching how this could have been for Epaphras and those, and those dear saints at Colossae. Well, Paul, you may know, planted the church at Ephesus and he ministered there for an entire two full years. But listen to what he told the Christians there at Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 17. There he wrote to them, of course, later from prison. And speaking of Jesus, he said to the Christians at Ephesus, he came and preached peace to you. Speaking of Jesus, he said, Jesus came to you at Ephesus and preached. The only thing is, Jesus in his earthly life was never in Ephesus. What Paul was telling them was when he stood up to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ stood up to preach. Well, that's arrogant. We ministers in the OPC are not apostles. And none of us measure up to the apostle Paul, least of all me. But whenever a minister handles the apostolic word in truth and the gospel is declared faithfully, it's not the minister you hear. It's the voice of Jesus. There's a real sense that when the congregation is sitting under the preached word, they should lose sight of the preacher and know that there is another who is there. Well, maybe you've invited someone to church here. 
sure you have at one time or another. Maybe that person said, well, who's your preacher? Isn't, isn't that Kent Harding? And you, now you can say, no, Jesus is our preacher. Okay. Uh-huh. Do you know what he looks like? Tell me what he looks like. No, I don't know what he looks like, but he's our preacher. Well, what do you mean? What I mean is that when we hear his voice, we follow him. And his sheep do hear his voice. And they follow him. How could our children hear hear Christ's voice and not seek safety in the arms of his saving grace? They can't. Our children can't hear the voice of Christ and not run to him gladly in their hearts and find safety in the arms of his saving grace. How could we not grow together in gospel love as God's children of faith when Jesus is the one preaching to us? How do we do that? You know, when we pray for the gospel to advance, we're not just praying for conversions. We're praying for Christians to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus and to bear forth fruit from the vine. For in him and in him alone lies the fullness of life. And this leads us to the results of gospel power. We have considered the source of gospel power, the Lord Jesus Christ, the platform for gospel power preaching. Let's now look at the results of gospel power. Paul says, directing your attention to verse four again and adding verse five, he's thankful. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Well, the results of gospel power are seen in these verses, faith, love, and hope. As you know, in other places in scripture, faith Love and hope, normally called faith, hope, and love, I believe, are highlighted. But the emphasis here is different. Here, hope is the basis from which faith and love grow. Your faith in Christ and your agape love for all the saints are dependent on your complete understanding of the hope that is laid up in heaven for you. Did you get that? I hope you did. Your faith in Christ is strong when you understand the hope that is laid up in heaven for you. Your love for all the saints, and this is where it takes place, is growing 
when you understand the hope that is laid up in heaven for you. Well, what kind of hope is laid up in heaven for you? What's your answer to that? No more sickness? No more tears? No more death? Yes, yes, yes. But is that all? Keep the theme of Colossians in mind as you think this answer through. The hope laid up for you in heaven is Jesus. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who won your salvation. You wouldn't be satisfied with heaven, would you, if Jesus wasn't there? You wouldn't be satisfied, would you? The all-sufficient one, the preeminent one, the one who in the gospel supplies all of our spiritual needs, the first fruit of the entire crop waiting for us, praying for us, making sure that we make it. That kind of hope, hope laid up for us in heaven in Jesus Christ is the kind of hope that grows faith and love. And Paul says in verse 6 that in the whole world the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing like this. This language of bearing fruit reminds us of a garden, doesn't it? Doesn't it? But more than a garden, it takes us all the way back to the beginning when God created the world. And we know that God the Son, the second person in the Holy Trinity, was there giving those commands for life to come forward, to, for life to come forth. We know it because the Apostle John tells us that all things were made through him. Well, in, in fact, I believe it's verse 16 of chapter 1. The Apostle Paul in Colossians says the same thing. He created all things. He's the preeminent Christ in the work of creation. Let it come forth. That was, that was at the beginning. That was at the work of creation. What Paul is talking about in verses 3 through 8 is the recreation in the hearts of men because of the gospel of Jesus Christ where those who were dead in trespasses and sins have been made alive in Christ through faith, come forth and are now growing. Come forth. I'm not going to leave you as you are. Don't you agree there's no need for any Jesus Plus program of any kind? Jesus is enough. Don't you agree? Children, do you agree that Jesus 
Christ, God's Son, is enough. He's the source of the gospel. And it's why the gospel is powerful enough to, to, to save you and to grow you up in him and to one day glorify you so that you in heaven will realize and experience the fullness of all that Jesus has done for you. Jesus is enough. By grace, come to him this morning. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and be saved. If you've been a Christian for 20 years, come to Jesus. Come to him. We haven't experienced and we haven't got the knowledge of Christ hardly at all compared to who he is. And I don't think we really fully have grasped the riches that are ours in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Congregation, the battle rages for the Christian. The battle didn't even begin until you became a child of God. It's a battle between the flesh and the spirit, God's word tell us, tells us. But, but, but can you this morning with the Apostle Paul say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You mean even in our little town and in our little church? You mean... Jesus even stands up to preach here and he impacts our thinking and our hearts and we bear the fruit of faith and love as a result. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for building us up in truth. We want to thank you that you keep knocking on the door of our often dull hearts and fanning the flame of our faith in your Son, who is very God of very God. <laughs> and it, it, it just staggers and blows the mind that you sent your son and that he became incarnate and that he did all that he did in his life and his death and his resurrection and it staggers our minds to know that even now at the right hand of the father he is king and through us his invisible kingdom now invisible is made visible and that one day and we pray for this as we take the Lord's Supper we're proclaiming it that Jesus Christ will come again and that kingdom will come in great power and fullness and glory and so thank you once again for meeting us 
speaking to us and for allowing us to hear the voice so sweet, so good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn in our hymnals in response.